0: Great, we're in the fifth week of this uh, sermon series, titled Just Before the Cross. Uh, And in this series, we've been journeying through uh, John chapters 13 to 17, and these chapters capture for us all that Jesus taught his disciples just before he was arrested and crucified. And within this series, within, as a part of this larger series, as... We are now focusing specifically on what Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit in these chapters. We began that last week and we're going to be doing another couple of weeks on that. So today we're looking at John chapter 15 verses 18 to 27. John 15, 18 to 27. I've requested Becky to read the passage for us. John 15, verse
1: 18 to 27. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of the truth, uh, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning.
0: Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Allow me to pray. Uh, Father, just as your word became flesh and came to live among us, Christ Jesus, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit who, who lives within us, in us as a community, we pray, would you transform us by the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I've titled this sermon, Evangelism 101. And uh, this passage holds for us the most basic and the most foundational things that we need to understand about evangelism. And I'd like to draw out three things for us from this passage. First, the world will hate us because it hated Christ. Second, we are to bear witness to a world that hates us. And third, our greatest comfort in evangelism. So three things. The world will hate us because it hated Christ. We are to bear witness to a world that hates us. And third, our greatest comfort in evangelism. Let's look at the first. The world will hate us because it hated Christ. Verse 19 from the passage we read, if you were of the world, Jesus said, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you, Jesus said, out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hates us. Jesus tells this explicitly in this passage. And one of the gravest mistakes a true follower of Christ can make is to forget this reality that the world hates us. I would even go one step further, take a minute, think of all your friends, think of all our colleagues at work, let's think of all of our neighbors, do any of them hate you? By hate you, I mean at the very least, have we had at least one conversation with them one conversation of disagreement about our faith. Has our faith offended anyone at all? Uh, have have we been at least at least slightly mocked for our faith? If we really think about it, if none of my friends, none of my colleagues, none of my neighbors have had any disagreement. Uh, with me about my faith, then I have to ask myself this question, am I really living faithfully as a follower of Christ? The world hates you, Jesus said. He he was not lying. Uh, He was not exaggerating. He, He was speaking plain and simple. I'm reminded of two of Aji's friends, whom she's known from school and college. I'm reminded... Or one of my friends, whom I've known for, for 30 years, these are very, very dear friends. We've known them for such a long time and still stay in touch, still spend a lot of time with one another. And our faith offends these friends to some extent. We love one another. We hang out a lot. We spend a lot of time with each other. We have fun together. We party together. We do all of that. But ever so often, our faith does offend them. At the very least, it perplexes them. Does your faith offend your friends? At least a little bit. Being at least occasionally rejected or ridiculed by our friends, neighbors, and colleagues for our faith is one of the defining marks of being a true disciples of Christ. The world hates you, Jesus said. If all of our friends and colleagues always love us and we are experiencing zero tension with them regarding our faith, something is surely wrong. Last week, I was, as we were reading through 1 Peter 4 in our Seeing Jesus Together journal, I was personally convicted of my own desire to play it safe in evangelism. I, I called it the playing it safe curse. W- we can forget about growing in evangelism if we want to play it safe. In New City, we have a very simple visual portrait. Of what a disciple of Christ looks like. He'll come up for us on screen. And, and this captures three non-negotiable things every true disciple of Christ must be experiencing in every season of our lives. Three things, it's pretty obvious from the chart. The first is renewal. We must all always be experiencing gospel renewal. Second, all disciples of Christ must always be on mission and third, we must always be experiencing flux. Part of the flux is that we should always experience, at least to some extent, some amount of hatred from the world. And flux is that area of discomfort that we must feel. Jesus called us to be in the world, yes but he also called us to be not of the world. We are to be in the world, but not of it. And, and living in this fine tension of being in the world, being incarnational, of being everywhere people are, where people work, live, work, and play, we must be there, we must be in the world, but we must not be of it. And this tension we must all experience is what we call flux. Part of that is called flux. Flux is is more than just that. If we are not experiencing flux, we are not really living as faithful disciples of Christ. There is no, no way around this reality. And that's the first thing I wanted to draw out for us from the passage. The world will hate us because it hated Christ. It hated Christ to the extent that it crucified Christ. The second thing I wanted to draw out is this. We are to bear witness to a world that hates us. To bear witness means to bear witness to Jesus, to tell the world about Jesus. We are to bear witness to a world that hates us. We are fools if we believe that evangelism is going to be easy. Uh, We are fools if we believe that we can do meaningful evangelism with no persecution whatsoever. You know, come to think of it. You and I, and almost all of us here in this church, we haven't really faced too much persecution, have we? Take a second. Think about your life in 2023. Have you faced any direct persecution in 2023? I haven't, to be honest. I have to confess, I have not faced any direct persecution. And I'm guessing 90-95% of us have also not faced any direct persecution. Well, if this is the case, what does it tell us about our evangelism? If I'm not facing any persecution whatsoever... It means that I'm not doing enough evangelism. It's as simple as that. It means that I'm playing. it, It just means, this is what I call the playing it safe curse. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they will also persecute you. Persecution takes different forms. In villages in India, you might very likely get beaten up if you share your faith publicly. In the context of cities like Mumbai, no one's going to beat you up, especially in professional settings where most of us live, and work, live, work and play. In the kind of societies we live in, in, in the socioeconomic class we live in, nobody's going to beat us up if we share about our faith. But we will very likely be shamed. You will be frowned upon. You will be mocked. You will be ridiculed quite often when you share your faith, at least to a small extent. I I remember very vividly the first time I spoke about my faith in Christ to my last boss, the editor of the newspaper I worked for. And halfway in the conversation, I, I could make out very clearly that he was looking at me with mocking amusement, I could tell that he was laughing at me on the inside. Inside, I did feel ridiculed. I did experience shame. We may not acknowledge it, but if we really introspect honestly, most of us will have to face the reality that it is shame that stops us from sharing about Christ more and more with our friends and with our colleagues. Shame is how professionals like us are persecuted in our culture. Subconsciously, we we're made to feel awkward. Subconsciously, we're being programmed to think that it is unnatural. It's offensive to talk about your faith. You, you can talk about anything. You can talk about your sexual orientation. You can talk about what you had for breakfast. You can talk about movies. You can talk about anything. But don't talk about it. Your faith. That's what culture tells us. And sadly, this shame has made many of us extremely reluctant in evangelism. And some of us have not talked about Christ to anyone for months, perhaps even years. Listen, the reality of this passage, and, and I want us to just consider the significance of this passage. We've been talking about the significance at the beginning of every sermon. This was the last sermon Christ preached to his disciples. This is what he chose to teach them just before he was arrested and crucified. And Jesus tells us in this discourse, in his last sermon, that the world will hate you. We are called to bear witnesses to Jesus Christ to a world That hates us just as it hated him. This is part and parcel of evangelism. Don't ever assume that anything in evangelism will be easy. And so if that is the case, if that is gospel truth in one sense, if that is the case, how do we find the strength to live out a lifestyle of evangelism in a world that hates us? And that's what this passage and this sermon is all about. And that's why I've titled this Evangelism 101. And that brings us to the third part of the sermon, third aspect I want to draw out for us from this passage. Our greatest comfort in evangelism. Our greatest comfort in evangelism. Look at verses 26 and 27. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he, that's the Holy Spirit, will bear witness about me. That's Christ. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. These two verses have enormous riches in store for us. If we don't get what Jesus is teaching us in this passage, evangelism will become an unbearable burden to us. We will walk around with guilt and a feeling of failure in our evangelism if we don't really get what Jesus is trying to teach us in these two verses. But on the other hand, if we are able to grasp the truth that Jesus is teaching us in this passage about evangelism, then evangelism will just become a joy and a delight. We'll experience great freedom and liberty in sharing the gospel with others. So I do want to look at these two verses very closely this morning let's start with the beginning of verse 26 but when the helper comes in the last two sermons we saw that the helper here in the original greek in the gospel of john in which the gospel of john was written was the word parakletos or paraclete the word paraclete is a very special word jesus used it for the first time in the Bible. It's very rich in meaning. But it's also a very difficult word to translate from Greek to English. The Greek word paraclete is best translated. I'm going to show you that it's not the ideal still. But the best way the word paraclete has been translated uh, into the original English meaning is of the word comforter. The paracletos, the Holy Spirit, is a Comforter. Comfort. Comforter is the word that is the best translation. But even this translation, in our time and world, in our context, has become very fuzzy. It doesn't capture the original meaning when Jesus said the word paraclete. Think of the word comfort. W- what does that word mean to you? What, 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 what imagery does the word comfort bring to your mind? In our present-day context, we understand the word comfort to mean to soothe, to empathize, to pacify, to offer solace, to wipe away tears. When a child is crying in pain, her mother comforts her. When we are in emotional difficulty, we go to a trusted friend and, and our friend comforts us. Isn't that how we understand the word "comfort"? Well, this is wrong. This is not, this is not the original English meaning of the word comfort. We're not even talking Greek here. This is not the way, this is not what the word comfort meant in English maybe 200, 300 years ago. Over the centuries, the meaning of many English words have changed significantly. And, and this is one example. The English word comes from the Latin word confortus. Uh, Latin has a significant influence on English, had a significant influence of English. It comes from the Latin word confortis, C-O-N-F-O-R-T-I-S. And the word confortis, in the word confortis, con means together or to come alongside. And fortis means strong, fort, forte, fortis. Fortis means strong. So confortis means con, together, plus fortis. That's strong. So comforter, the word comforter, when when Jesus spoke the word paraclete referring to the Holy Spirit and when it was translated comforter, that word comforter in the original English means someone who comes alongside to strengthen us. Not to soothe us, not to wipe away a tear, the Holy Spirit does that also, but Jesus meant the Holy Spirit, the paraclete comes alongside us to strengthen us. To be with us in strength. That's the biblical meaning of this word. To really fully appreciate the meaning of the word comfort and how it's changed, consider, this, consider the meaning of this word uh, as it plays out in the context of a battle, for instance. We would think in our time and place, in our cultural moment, we would think comfort means being consoled after we lose a battle. Well, that's not the original English meaning of the word. The original English meaning of the word is to be comforted. The original English meaning of the word to be comforted is to be strengthened in the midst of battle. To be strengthened in the thick of battle. So when Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as comforter or paraclete, he does not mean the Holy Spirit will soothe us and embrace us and console us and wipe away our tears when we lose a battle in evangelism in a world that hates us. That's not at all what Jesus meant. What Jesus meant is that the Holy Spirit will be along with us. He'll be alongside us and will strengthen us in the thick of the battle of evangelism in a world that Hates us. So when Jesus in the Bible says the Holy Spirit is a comforter, it means the Holy Spirit is a strengthener. It means, when the Bible says the Holy Spirit comforts us, it means the Holy Spirit strengthens us. Doesn't this take the pressure off us? Doesn't this at least take a little bit of the burden? Doesn't it at least lift a little bit of the burden We feel about evangelism. We are not called to do any evangelism in our own strength. We're called to share the love of Jesus with people we love, with people who don't know Christ, with the strength of the paraclete or the Holy Spirit. There's more in the passage. We just want getting started. There's more in these two verses. Let me read these two verses again, but when the helper comes, we saw that, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, Jesus said, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. That is Christ in verse 27, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Okay, so here is the, here's a very important question. This passage says, the Holy Spirit bear witness, bears witness to Christ. It also says, we must bear witness to Christ. So what is the difference between the witness of the Holy Spirit and our witness? The Holy Spirit bears witness to Christ. We are called to bear witness to Christ. What's the difference between the two? What's the difference between how the Holy Spirit bears witness to Christ and how we bear witness to to Christ. If we really understand the answer to this question, I can assure you we've cracked evangelism. If we understand the answer to this question, most of our hesitation, most of our fears about evangelism will go away and evangelism will become a joy and, and delight. And I will promise nothing less if we truly grasp this passage, the meaning of this, not just intellectually, but from the in, internalized and in the depths of our heart. So what is the difference between how the Holy Spirit witnesses about Christ and how we are to witness about Christ? It's a very simple difference, but it's a profound difference. Our witness of Jesus is an external witness in the sense we are only called to tell people about the good news of Jesus. But the witness of the Holy Spirit is an internal witness in the sense the Holy Spirit works within the heart of the hearer to move his or her heart to faith. In other words, our role as an external witness of Christ is to confess the good news of Jesus to our friends, colleagues, neighbors. Our, word, our, our role is just to confess the good news of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's role as an internal witness of Christ is to convert the hearer by moving his or her heart to faith in Christ Jesus. But these two ordinarily always go together. The Spirit of God works in the heart of the hearer inwardly while each of us share the good news of Jesus externally. Both always works together. And this is how the Apostle Paul describes this truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave growth. So the work of Paul and Apollos is the external work. They did the external work of preaching the gospel, and the Holy Spirit did the internal work of enabling the hearers to believe the gospel. You see what this means? (laughs) This means biblically, we're not called to convert anyone. That's what it means biblically. Biblically, even if we tried, even if we tried, we could never convert anyone, however hard we try. It is only God, the Holy Spirit, who can do the internal work of bringing people to faith in Jesus You know, here's the truth. We can't even bring our own children to faith in Christ. Think about that. We can't even bring our own children to faith in Christ. We can only bring them up in the faithful teaching of the gospel. That's a godly responsibility every parent has. We can't bring them to faith. Ultimately, it is not us, but only the Holy Spirit who can bring even our own children to faith. So the most fundamental basics of evangelism is that we are called to bear external witness to Christ by sharing the gospel in word. And it is the Holy Spirit who does the internal work of bringing hearers and listeners to faith in Jesus. And if we understand this truth it takes, it lifts a huge burden off our shoulders. So let me talk to you if you are who we would call an explorer. An explorer is someone we, um, who, who is interested in Jesus, who's curious about him. You probably like to come to church because a friend invites you. you. You enjoy a lot of things. But you're still undecided about Christ. That's whom we would call an explorer. So let me, let me talk to those of us who are explorers. New City is a safe space for you to explore Jesus at your own pace. New City is a safe space. And I'll tell you why New City is a safe space. As you have just heard me say, and I'm on record, you can go back and listen to this online as well later. As you have heard me say, we believe that no man or no woman is ever capable of converting anyone. So you have nothing to fear from us. We're incapable of converting anyone. Yes, we, we, we find joy and we are growing and sharing about Jesus to people. So we will tell you about Jesus because he's so close to our heart. He's blessed us. He's saved us. He's washed away our sins as you s- listen to those songs. So every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, we will faithfully share about Jesus. But that is all we can do. So you have nothing to fear from us if you're an explorer. We can't convert you even if we wanted. We can't even convert our own children. The Holy Spirit has to bring them to faith. We can't. But if it is indeed God the Holy Spirit who is drawing your faith, your heart to faith in Jesus, if it is God who is drawing your heart to Christ. And if you do end up believing in Jesus with all your heart, then it is God the Holy Spirit himself who has converted you. And here too, you have nothing to fear because if God has led you to the truth, why would you complain with that? If God himself, if God the Holy Spirit has led you to faith in Jesus, what is there to fear in that? So what if the whole world mocks us and ridicules us? If you have the conviction of the Holy Spirit bearing witness to your heart within, then what's stopping you from believing in Christ Jesus? And so New City is a safe space for every explorer to come and explore Jesus at his or her own pace. Let me also speak to those of us who are followers of Christ. Those of us who are followers, you know, at some level, every one of us, uh, we we carry disappointments that we have shared the gospel with a few people, or maybe even many people, and they never came to faith. It's something we all carry disappointments in. And let me just say that this is an unnecessary and unbiblical burden. To carry. It's an unbiblical burden to get. There's no biblical basis to feel this burden. If anyone comes to faith when we share the gospel, we can take no credit for it. Except that we faithfully share the gospel. It is the Holy Spirit who brings everyone to faith. And when we share the gospel, if they do not come to faith, we need not feel any shame in it. It is not our failure. We have not failed. And if we really get hold of this truth... This too should just lift the burdens off our shoulders and really energize us to, to share, to share about Jesus. This is important. We need to internalize this. When we share about Jesus to someone and they reject Christ and they reject us, we've not failed. We've been faithful. Our role in evangelism is just to share. That's all we can ever do. That's all God expects us to do. That's all the Holy Spirit will strengthen us to do. We can never ever force or persuade anyone to become a follower of Christ. We don't even have to try that. We just have to be faithful in sharing the gospel. That's all God expects of us. When we stand before Christ on the last day, the judgment day, Christ is not going to come and ask us, how many people did did you convert? Because we can't convert anyone. He is going to come and ask us, were you faithful in sharing the gospel? That is all we need to do. That is all we can do. Isn't this liberating? Isn't this freeing? We only do the external work of sharing the gospel. Only the Holy Spirit can do the internal work of enabling hearers to believe the gospel. Let me close with one last thought. Another beautiful thing that's there for us in this passage. In verse 21, Jesus tells us something that is profound. All these things, Jesus said, they will do to you on account of my name. They will persecute you. They will mock you. They will shame you. All these things they will do to you on account of my name, Jesus said. In evangelism, we must and we will suffer persecution for the sake of Christ. We will suffer on account of his name. But you know, this is not a burden. This is a privilege. Christ, the Son of God, God himself suffered brutally for our sake. His suffering on the cross, both in terms of pain and shame and being forsaken by the Father, being punished by his beloved Father for all of our sins, this is the greatest suffering the entire cosmos has ever known. Is it really a burden to suffer a little persecution for his sake? Or is it a privilege? Philippians chapter 1 verse 29 captures this beautifully. The apostle Paul writing this, he says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. The word granted here is significant. It has been granted to us to suffer for his sake, just as it it has been granted to us to believe in him. The word granted quite literally means to be granted a huge favor. Look at Luke chapter 7 verse 21. In that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. The word bestowed in Luke Luke seven twenty one is exactly the same word as granted used in the words that I just read in Philippines. It has been bestowed upon us not only to believe in him, that's a gift of salvation. It's a free gift. We did nothing. We receive it by faith. Just as it has been bestowed upon us to believe in him, it has also been bestowed upon us to suffer for his namesake. So all true believers have been bestowed the glory and the honor of suffering a little for the sake of Christ in our evangelism. Will we run away from this? Or will we joyfully embrace what has been bestowed upon us? Let us pray. Father, we worship you, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the paraclete, the comforter, who not only wipes away our tears, but who strengthens us, who is alongside us, who is with us, who is in us. And from within, he strengthens us in the heat of battle. And what a privilege it is that we've been called to partner with your Holy Spirit. Us bearing external witness to Christ and him, the Holy Spirit, bearing internal witness to Christ. And so we pray for each of us individually and we pray for us as a church. Help us. Please, Lord, help us to live this reality that we are to bear external witness. And when we bear external witness to Jesus, the Holy Spirit Comes alongside and bears internal witness, uh, Father. We also pray for those of us who explorers, not just here today, but explorers who always come to New City, who enjoy coming and being part of us. Our Lord, would you move in their hearts? Would you open their heart, open the eyes of their hearts to see Jesus, just as you opened the eyes of our hearts. And we remember and we acknowledge that we can do nothing except to faithfully share about Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray, help us. Help us to share about Christ in a world that hates us.
1: In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.